God is good. Amen. You know, it's so powerful and, and just liberating just to worship Him. Because you see, you begin to declare truth over your situation and circumstance. You begin to speak life over your death. You begin to speak solution into your trauma. You begin to speak hope. I had a, a sense that this morning there were a couple of worry mongers sitting here. Before you came this morning, you make sure you packed it into a nice little box and you brought it along with you. And it's called the cares and the troubles of this world. Now, if in the last 30 seconds you haven't focused entirely on me, that's you. Because you're thinking on your cares and troubles. So I want you to take them and let's stand up. I want to do something. I want to take those cares and troubles and things that have come to distract us from His truth, from His Word, and just lay them aside. So Father, this morning we come, oh yes, Lord, and we choose to take our thoughts captive. We choose to take that little parcel of cares and worries and we choose to set it aside. We choose to come into Your presence and say, Father, Whatever you want this morning. Daddy, I'm here. Come fill me. Come touch me. Let me drink of you. Let me experience you in a way like never before. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love through your son who died for me. And I thank you this morning that I can experience full freedom, full joy, full peace because of what you've done. In Jesus' name. This gospel is so exciting. Amen. It's uh, Sorry. Whew. This gospel is so exciting. And you know what? Were I just to stand here and read scriptures this morning, you'd be so free. Because his word promises it'll never return void. It promises it'll always accomplish that which it was intended to do. But I've got quite a lot to, to get through this morning and quite a bit of scripture. And we want to delve in uh, a Stoffel. I'm going to send that flying. Stoffel started last week, and, and it was like we had actually got together and planned this, but we didn't. And he spoke on love. And I just want to take that love onto another level. I want to take that and explore a new depth and a new understanding of what his love means to us. 1 John 4:15 says to us that whoever In the Greek, that word means whoever. In Hebrew, it means whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Try and grasp that. God, Father, Son, and Spirit abides in you. The fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of the Creator, the fullness of God Almighty abides in you. So what does that make you? Something so different, so powerful, and so glorious because of what He's done. In the Passion Translation, and reading from a few verses in front of that, just to give a context for what I want to say this morning. You know why we have a pulpit? It's actually not to hold on notes, it's actually to hold on to. <laughs> but we belong to God, and whoever truly knows God listens to us. This is from verse 4. Those who refuse to listen to us do not belong to God. That is how we can know the difference between the Spirit of Truth and the spirit of deceit. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another. Because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. 
The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long, long, long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's love and splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us. And we make our permanent home in him, and his love is brought to its full expression in us. And he has given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and we in him. That is mind-blowing. The fullness of him lives in us. And you see, this morning, his greatest desire is to love you. His greatest desire is to set you free. His greatest desire is for every sickness, every disease, every depression, every hindrance, everything that is holding you back to melt in his presence. As you are empowered by the fullness of God in you. That those things are not the things we focus on. Those things are not the things that hold us back and govern our lives. But we realize a new freedom, a new peace, and a new joy in Him. We're going to look at this joy. Joy without limit. Joy without boundaries. You need to delight yourself in the Lord. You need to take pleasure in Him. So many of us, we get up, it's the wrong way. It's not, oh, morning God. It's, oh, God, it's morning and we let the cares of the world drag us as we get dressed, we brush our teeth or whatever, whatever we do. But we're not getting up. Yes, Lord, new day. What are the opportunities? Where am I going? What are we doing together? You know, the realms of heaven. We are seated in Him, in heavenly places. Plural. The more you delight in Him, the more heavenly places you will experience. The more you are intimate with Him, the more heavenly places you will experience. The closer you are to Him, the more you will experience seated in heavenly places. You know, the greats of old, I, I love some of the stories of the saints. Sorry, put an anointing up here. I love the stories of the saints of old. And, and you just see what these guys accomplished in Christ. You see God manifesting in radical ways. You know what? Every one of these number one desire was love God. <laughs> love God above everything else at every cost. Love God. We sang a song about tasting and seeing. Have any of you, any, any of you ever experienced an explosion of stuff in your mouth without tasting? No. You've got to take the bike. You've got to taste it to see what it tastes like. And his word tells us, taste and see. We come and we want this experience, but we're not prepared to taste. We're not prepared to open up and taste what he's given us. You see, the more you taste of him, the more you will see. Taste and see. The more you taste, the more you see. The more you see, the more you taste. And we begin to energize ourselves into the fullness of what he's given us. How many of you enjoyed worship this morning? Wonderful, eh? Just to, oh, Jesus, get taken up into heavenly places. And you know what our nature as human beings is? Is to worship the thing we love the most. That's why the Bible warns us about money. Because it can easily become your God. And what we worship is what we enjoy the most. Bill Johnson says the very things we focus on in life is what we become. So if we focus on the positives and the good, we become that. If we focus on the negatives, what I mustn't become, guess what you're going to become? 
And we need to focus on Him in worship, in adoration, in glorious wonder. Worship is to enjoy the fullness of who God is. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. You know, how many lives are wasted in pursuit of effort and driving and striving? It's in Him, guys. It's in Him. We want to go up to heavenly places. The language, the, the, the method of ascension into heavenly places is worship, adoration, time with Him. If you want to experience heaven as it is in heaven on earth, how do you do that? Try harder, strive harder, climb faster. No. Rest harder. Worship Him. As you worship, He lifts you up into heavenly places. Love is the technology of ascension. We need to ascend to heaven to live on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> Joe Cocker put it in a very beautiful song in some good words, and it says, Love lifts us up where we belong, <laughs> where the eagles fly. <laughs> What's that bumps, bumper sticker? How can I fly like an eagle when you've put me with a bunch of turkeys? Well, how do you get rid of the turkeys? Ascension. <laughs> get into heaven. And guess what? There are only eagles up there. No turkeys. Or oh, Christmas time, we hope there is a few. <laughs> Love breaks the feathering, the control of gravity, and it breaks the barrier of space and time. We are so focused on our little 80, 90 years of life and everything that happens in it. Well, guess what? Your 80 years that you've got on this planet is not defined by this. It's defined before you were a spirit. He came, he gave you a body, and guess where you're going back? Out of time, beyond what we know and understand with our limited thinking. And God is already beyond that. And as we break into this love, we will begin to live and see and do things for eternity, not for this little period of time. Love knows no bounds and it knows no limits. He loved so much that he died for us, sent his son. And you know, love is the most excellent way, but so few pursue it. It's so sad, so much of the church has replaced pursuing his love for a system of things to do and a way to do it. His love is the perfect, excellent way. Love is a person and he invites us into communion where he delights in you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not only so that we can remember what He's done for us, that we re-empowered, that we, we, we partake of His resurrection, that we partake of His crucifixion, but it's also that we can connect with Him, that we can connect with His love. He's, he's absolute intent for you. He's pursuing you. He's chasing after you. And as you come and remember Him, He's there for you. He's the giver. We're the receiver. We need to sit back and learn to receive again. He's the, uh, the source. And as we thirst, we come and we drink. We come and taste. And we're satisfied. We're coming to a place where we should be so intoxicated in His love that the world just begins to fade away. <laughs> there was a, what was it? It was a discipline ad. And there's a yapping little dog. You know how irritating that is? And the guy takes a discipline and then it just fades away. That's what love does. It takes all those yapping little irritations and they just fade into insignificance. And the sad part is what we're talking about today is the word, it is the truth, and it is so simple, but a lot of the church isn't walking in the fullness of it. 
Jean Guyong, one of the greats of old, said, we need to abandon all your needs simply in his presence. Simply be in his presence. Forget your needs. You know, the, the, the scriptures talk about the birds of the air, the grass, the fields. Why do you worry? And I believe as we draw into this place of intimacy, there's such a, a new era of revelation and understanding of this intimacy and what this intimacy brings, what it breaks in your life, what it lets go of, that you can honestly be able to get up and, well, Lord, as, as Paul did, get up in jail. That was a cr- tiny place in a wet, damp, dark rock with a gate in front of it. And what is he doing? Thank you, Jesus, for my home. Thank you, Jesus, for your provision. Thank you, Jesus, for the water I drink. Not God, you've got to get me out of here. Not God, my situation sucks. What are you doing? As we understand the intimacy of His love, we can begin to praise Him no matter where we are, no matter what circumstance we are in. (laughs) There's a beautiful psalm that's the basis of Christianity. Psalm 23. And this love is the gateway to accessing those dimensional realms that are mentioned in Psalm 23. And we're going to look at some of them. Loving the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He's the one that cares for me. It's the focal point to understanding the scripture. It's the order of Melchizedek, the high priest who was and is. That's what we've been called to. We've been called to something so much greater than our understanding of what we've grasped to know. In the New King James Version, Psalm 23, verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, that comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sounds like an awesome, awesome place, eh? Well, guess what? That's where you're supposed to be. That's the place He's called you to. You see, for the person in union with God, there's been so much focus from the church. You need to fight this battle. You need to do this. You need to defeat this. You need to overcome this. You... No. You need to learn to come to that place green pastures you need to come and put your head in his lap and drink of the still water because there is your security there is your strength there is your provision there is your power he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies (laughs) we all want to fight with our enemies it's in the presence hey check what I'm eating you've got nothing Oh, you should taste the lamb. It's brilliant. Sorry, you can't have. You're not invited to the table. We need to begin to understand what he's done for us. He was the sacrificial lamb. And he says of his body, come and eat. And I'll give you everlasting life. We too, uh, I don't even know what the word is. Oh no, I can't eat. I can't eat. Come and sit at his table and begin to feast. 
The new place of warfare is called feasting. The church for so long, yes, there is a place for fasting, don't get me wrong, but we fast for this. Method, method, method. What's Jesus' method? Come and sit. Come and feast at the table I have prepared for you. Death, (laughs) this is amazing. Death becomes just a shadow. We're so scared. Most of our fear is motivated around death in some form. Death becomes a shadow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Death no longer has any substance. Death is a shadow. It's a lie. It's not a real thing. A shadow. Light comes, there's something in the way, and it casts a shadow. Is the shadow the something? No. It's a lie. It's a false impression of that which is in the light. Death doesn't become something to be feared. It becomes something that's immaterial. It's something that's just illusionary and transitionary. Because for us to die is gain. So death, where is your sting? For Jesus, it's lost it. For us, the same is true. God wants to teach these things to our hearts that burn with fire and burn with love. We need to reignite this affection for this king. And it's not through effort or performance, but we love because he first loved us. There's a lot of word at the moment about the spirit of performance. And it it is a spirit of performance. Everybody is running around trying to perform something. Look at me. I'm this. Look at me. I'm that. I need recognition. I need to be acknowledged. I, I, I. And I tell you what, God is just saying, no, stop. I am. Look at me. Ministries. What wouldn't some of these guys are standing up? I've got a guy that I was at one point listening to some of his prophetic words, and and now I get a daily thing from him. Call me to get your word. Don't miss your word, because if you don't call me, you're going to miss your word for the year. Heck no. Who are you, God? I go to God for my word, and an obedient prophet just brings it. But the obedient prophet doesn't say. Look at me for your word. He says, hey, Jesus. There's been too much focus on the performance, on the look at me, on the I need your attention, I need your money, rather than Jesus. If I point to myself more than I point to him, I've got to question what I'm doing. My life must be about pointing you to him. Every good prophet should be out of business within five years. Because it means he would have raised up a team of prophets beneath him. Sown into their lives that they can lead others into the fullness of what he wants to do. The degree you allow God to love you is the degree you can love him because God is love and it comes from God. That is a sad reality and a truth. If you cannot love yourself, you're going to struggle to allow God to love you. The degree you allow God to love you is the degree you can love Him. Because He first loved us. And we take that love which He gave to us and we in turn increase in our love with Him. We're the target for Jesus' love. Daddy loves you so much that He sent His Son so that He can love you. John 13, 34. So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you, by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. It's a sad state when the church isn't impacting a community because there's no love. The church, this community outside, should know that we're on the map and we're moving because of God's love emanating from us. 
But you can't show that love unless you're in Him. And then He fills you with it. And you come and you drink. Drink of the new wine. Drink of the intoxicating wine of His love. And then you go out and you love. Not of your capacity, but of Christ in you. You must allow Him to invade and saturate you with His goodness. His ravishing, ravishing, all-consuming love that is beyond space, time, and language. You see, we want love in our definition and understanding. What happens when somebody falls in love with a foreigner? They don't even understand their language. Do you think the love's any different? Do you think the love changes because they're not talking the same language? That love exists beyond time, space, dimension, language. The key is an open heart. An open heart is a heart that can see. Love must be our priority. Let Him drive you into the fullness of this joy. And that's a must, not as in you have to work at it. It's a must as in, oh Jesus. It's not a strived for must. It's a rested must. Because without that love, we cannot function. We cannot press in. We cannot love our neighbor. Sometimes we can't even love ourselves without that. And that scripture I read earlier on says, He who loves not has not God. Ouch. Ouch. For a lot of the church today, you wouldn't know they had God. Because they're incapable of loving the guy next door. We have to become a people. Not have to. We need to be a people that just loves, 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 reflects the fullness of God in our lives. We must allow God to invade our minds, space, and that's what Christianity is. We need the courage to believe fully in what we already know. And that is that He's done it all for us already. Not by works, not by power, but by the Spirit. He's done it. Every, we sung it this morning, everything you need, every, every, every single need you have, He's done it for you already. He's gone before you. He's prepared a way. Joseph Prince puts it so beautifully. He talks about one day he went to, not Hollywood, the one in China, the Disney World in China. And he went on a ride with his little kid, and his kid got terrified. So this moment of joy for the kid ended up in a screaming terror. So you know what he did? He sent his family somewhere else the next day, and he went and he rode on every single ride. He rode every ride. And then he could the next day say to his kids, come on this ride, this ride, and this ride, you'll enjoy it. I have gone before you and prepared a way. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Daddy does for us. When you're facing something, he says, uh-uh, don't hassle. I've gone before you. I've prepared a way. You can do this. Not on your own, but come, take my hand, and I'll walk you through it. So often we get to it and we want to run away. But he says, I have been there before you because he loves you so much. The work of the cross is such a full, complete work. Nothing was left out. Everything that you're ever going to need was done on the cross. From salvation, from his blood making a way for you, to come into the righteousness of Christ. Not by works, but by what He's done. We can add nothing to it, and it's so impossible that He did it for us. We become the righteousness of Christ, not through our effort, but through what He's already done. He opened the gates of heaven, He took us beyond time, and He takes us into eternity with Him in heaven. <laughs> I love this. Justin Abrams was talking about this in... He says, you know, Jesus has come before us and he was the perfect sacrifice. So often we want to come with our three-legged lamb with one eye and rabies and offer it up to him. <laughs> he came with the perfect sacrifice. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to squeeze out, eke out, force out? 
It's been done for you. Receive it. Come sit at his table. Feast on the lamb. He was the lamb that was slain. Unblemished. Perfect. And he says to you, come and feast. Tell me a very technical question. What are you required to do at the feast? Doesn't say serve. Doesn't say run around. Doesn't say anything but come and feast. Cool. I want you to picture in your mind a table with every conceivable delicious thing you love in front of you. And Jesus is standing there, holding your chair, waiting for you to sit down. You come and you sit down, and he pushes your chair. He takes your napkin and he puts it on your lap. And you begin to feast. Who prepared the table? Jesus. He prepares the table. He fills the cup. And he doesn't only fill the cup as a waiter standing. He filled the cup with his blood, with his sacrifice. David understood the presence of God. The ark represented the presence and David was making a plan to get back in Jerusalem. But he also understood something more. The presence of God is everything. He was dancing in his loincloth. They're slaughtering the lambs as they go along. They're spraying out the blood. They're offering up the fat as as a sacrifice, an incense burnt to God. Because of the presence, Jesus, God himself, is with us. Jesus shed his blood for you in the same way. That you can dance before the world with his blood upon you because he's paid the price for you. The fatty goodness, the good stuff, the overflowing abundance of God is his goodness as he provides for you, as he's made a way for you. (laughs) David was enjoying the goodness of God as he preceded the ark. The church today would do it oh so properly. We would just be all dignified and we'd walk calmly and we'd sweep away and off we'd go. David lost it, guys. He lost the plot. He was dancing. He went nuts. He was in his loincloth. This is the king. The guy that's got it all together. The guy that leads the nation that's watching him and he loses the plot. Why? God's love. The presence of God is with me and I will become much more undignified than you. He lets it go in rapturous delight before God. And that's what we need to begin to do. He was stripped of all dignity, laying down his airs and graces of celebrity. He wasn't mindful of the opinion of his wife. He wasn't mindful of the religious leaders. The king laying down the very behavior he was supposed to conform to. Blissful, absolutely blissful in the shed blood. (laughs) And the presence of God coming in. And Jesus has done that for us. He shed his blood that we, we don't have to be working at it anymore. You know what the good news is? We all come into the kingdom and we want to get it all right before we can come in. Jesus' innocence has made a way. We are innocent in Him. He's done it for us. We are innocent in Him. Righteousness, our righteousness is in Him. He made a way for us to be righteous. Not by works, not by mount, because we couldn't do it. But He's made a way. And it's just, how do we access it? Oh, got to get more theological books. Got to work it all out. 
going to read more and then I'm going to understand more and then I can do more. No. How do we access it? Believe. We believe it and it is because it's been done. There is such a new move of intimacy coming to the church, of God bringing us into revelation and understanding of this new revelation. But, oh, please, that we don't try and do it through works. We don't try and do it through methodology. We don't try and do it through laws. But we freely accept the gift that is given. We can't add to it, guys, but we can participate in it fully, completely. It's already been done for us. We can't add to it in any way. Our destination is Christ. So often we're trying to work to get to Christ. We're already in Him. Our destination is in Him as He carries us into the fullness of what God's got for us. We stand fully identified in Christ. That your identity isn't in your ability, your wife, your partner, your ministry, your whatever. Your identity is in Christ because of what He did on the cross. What's preceded us in the church age is far too small for what God's got. We've had prophetic movement. We've had sometimes pathetic movement. We've had church age. We've had, oh man, we've had so many things. We've had so many things. All he's saying is come to me. Receive my truth. And then we get so stuck on the truth. Today's truth is final. No more. Oh, actually, you know what? I had a revelation of that. So today's truth is final. Which is the final one? None of it. Because his word is ever-changing. His revelation is ever-increasing. Like Cyrus, he will reveal to us the treasures hidden in darkness. And today's absolute truth for you might not be your tomorrow truth. He's a God of revelation. And as you draw closer... The revelation increases. Knowledge expands. What I thought I knew now becomes insignificant into the comparison of what he's taking me into. We don't find our satisfaction in the function, guys. Or position, but only are we blissfully fulfilled in him and in him alone. We become like those that stripped off our titles, like David. On the word of God, like Abraham, he says, leave and go. Where? No, no, leave and go. Okay, Lord, what do I know? Leave and go. You know what, Lord? I trust you and I believe you. I'm going. Journeying into new realities, new understandings of this world and new truths. The anointing comes and opens up as he reveals his word to us. And the anointing takes us into new understanding of the revelation he's given us. Am I teachable? Am I allowing God to change my mind, to renew my mind, to reveal more and more to me day by day? We're in a new covenant of love, joy, and peace where everything has been done for us. Our response is to enter into the blessing. In other words, the blissful state with Him. <laughs> I love that word. The Moffat translation speaks about the Abrahamic coming covenant. Remember the covenant where all things will be given to you. The blessings of Abraham are yours. And the Moffat says that the Abrahamic covenant will make you famous for your bliss until all the nations seek such bliss as you have got. Have you got nations chasing after you for what you got? Because you should have. Because you've got the same blessings. All nations were chasing after Abraham because of the blessings of God. Well, those blessings are yours today. All of them. Psalm 1611 in the New King James says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. 
at your right hand are pleasures evermore. In the Passion, it says, For you bring me a continual revelation of resurrection life, the path to the bliss that brings me face to face with you. There's no better place than face to face with Him. Everything we want, need, have is in that place as we surrender. Told you we're going to get quite a bit of scripture this morning. Matthew 5, from verse 1, New King James. And seeing the multitudes, he went upon a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for these is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to read that same passage in the Passion. It gives us a better understanding on the word blessed. So Jesus began to teach them what happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty. For theirs is the realm of heaven's kingdom. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord, for you will find what you long for. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you, for you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy, for tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss do you experience when your heart is pure? For then your eyes will be opened and you will see more of God. How joyful are you when you make peace, for then you will be recognized as a true child of God. So there we have blessed being happiness, delight, blessing, enriched, satisfied, blissful and joyful. That's what blessing means. Interestingly enough, the definition of bliss is to reach a place of perfect happiness. Oblivious to everything else. Who longs to be there? Some of you. Oh, you should put two hands and two feet, Corinne. <laughs> to reach a place of perfect happiness, oblivious to everything else. We've, we've, we've had a few challenges in the past. <laughs> yeah. At the end of it, it was God, what was this year about? Your heart. Oh, so when the clutch went, your heart. Oh, so when the house we were moving to fell through, your heart. Medical diagnosis, your heart. Did you trust me? Did you press into me? Did you understand and believe I've got you and I've got your best? Well, Lord, this happened. Your heart. Well, Lord, you know that guy said, your heart. See, he's only interested in your heart. He's only interested in all-consuming love, blissful joy. Oh, I think most church people have torn out James 1 and 2 out of their Bible. Consider it pure joyful when you face trials. Oops, don't want that page. Sounds like hard work. Consider it bliss, exuberant, ecstatic, radical love and joy when you face trial. Wouldn't we look weird to the rest of the world if we did that? Aren't we a peculiar people? We call to be that, guys. 
You know, so many of us, oh, I ate this and it did that to me, and I ate this and it did that to me, and I can't eat this because I can't eat that. I can't. What about blessing our food? Thanks for the food, and I bless it. So I make, an in, I make a dead object give me life. If I can do that to a dead object to give me life, we need to begin to understand that in Christ we can do all things, we can eat all things, because He blesses it and makes it alive to us. It gives us energy, it sustains us. As we feast on Him, the land that was slain imparts new life. It empowers us to experience the fullness that was made ours through the cross. It elevates us to seated in heavenly places with Him. The Word says, whoever eats my body will not die. Do we believe that? Do we practically take that and say, yes, Lord, as I partake of your blood, as I partake of your body, as I eat of this bread of life, it sustains me through everything. You see, all of I'm talking about now is the gospel. It's the good news. It's there. But we try and make it so heavy. We try and make it so complicated. If we would just become those that simply believe, you died for me, you gave me a life of abundance, you're a good, good, glorious Father, and you want me to revel in you. Where does all the complications of life enter in? We need to increase our joy capacity. Our blissfulness must be in Him. Blissfulness. Would the church be convicted of joy today if God came back? I think so many people are in for a horrible shock when they get to heaven. Because their, their, their version of church and gloriousness is grumpy. We, we're righteously grumpy. We've got a gloriously grumpy disposition in Jesus' name. And when things are going well, we maybe lift one end, and if they're not, it's Jesus. Not, oh God, no matter what, I can get up in the morning, I can laugh, I can shout, I can scream, I can dance, because you're with me. There's nothing that can come against me that it can stand. The gates of hell will not prevail. You've gone before me, you've prepared a way, you've made springs of living water in the desert. You prepare a road for me. I'm never blind, I'm never lost, I'm never in need, because you are everything. As we begin to shake off the apathy of this world, as we begin to shake off the cares and worries, we can begin to laugh. We can begin to say, ha, ha, ha. Not listen to every lie the devil brings, but we can say, that's a lie. Ha, ha, ha. The Bible says, laugh in the devil's face. As we begin to understand and believe his word and apply the truth in our lives. We should be the most joyous bunch on the planet. We should be having the party of all parties. I went to church this morning. Jesus was very good. <laughs> Come on, guys. Hey, what God are we serving? This God? Or one filtered by all our circumstances, our past, our religion? Oh, that I would see that when we come in here, we don't need a chair. Because we're all standing, dancing for joy. That the preacher doesn't get a chance because we're in heavenly rapture, just going moggy. Because of what God's done. And we've begun to understand what He's done for us. You begin to allow the joy to bubble up within you. That no situation or circumstance can keep you down. What I'm talking about is the heart of somebody that knows how to feast, to taste, to drink of the cup of the new wine, to become intoxicated with his love, with his joy, 
to enter into heavenly bliss. Paul said that everything else is completely inferior in comparison to knowing the excellence of knowing Jesus my Lord through whom I have died to the world and the world has died to me. He said to me, therefore I'm enjoying a new existence. The challenge, church, is are you enjoying your new existence? When you're out in the street, are you bumping into people and they're following you saying, I want what you've got? Are they saying, excuse me, have, have you just won the lottery? Why are you dancing? Why are you so exuberant? No, because I know Jesus. Not walking. Oh, Jesus is so good. I'm going to heaven one day. He's done it already. He's given you life, abundant life. We need to begin to change. We need to get, go to the orthodontist and wire our jaws up in a smile. If we can't do it permanently yourself, fake it, wire it up, do something that we look like joyous people, heavenly people on a journey with the King of Kings. Embracing what He's done for us. Embracing what He's given you. It's so sad we've been so bound by religion. We've been so bound by old thinking, understanding old ways. In fact, I just declare over you this morning, you have been set free. You've been set free from old thinking, old understanding, from religious ways. That you would enter into the fullness of His joy. Into the fullness of His glory. Into the fullness of the bliss that He's made available for you in Him. I always tease Neil about the skateboard and going places on a skateboard. But you know that, that we would just float downstairs because we were just blissfully unaware there are stairs. <laughs> How did I get to the bottom? Don't know. <laughs> How did I get to the top? Even more of a don't know. <laughs> but we walk. Oh, Lord. Come on, guys. Jesus came that his joy might be full. How much joy has God got? What's full? We haven't entered into that much of the fullness of the joy and exuberance there is in him. John Piper said, to be infinitely glorious is to be infinitely happy. God's glory is His goodness. His goodness is His glory. And isn't he, you know what? This is amazing. The God is, is actually happy in themselves. Jesus looks at God and laughs. And the Spirit looks at Jesus and laughs. They're all sitting with a long face saying, what are you doing today? They're happy. They are exuberant. They are. And He says, this I've given to you. Thank you, Jesus. The dance of joy. Oh Lord, help me. I've got two left feet so others can laugh even more. <laughs> but dance I will. What is said, Paul says to the church of Galatia, who stole your joy? Way back then, who Stole your joy. Two guys that have just been around Jesus. They've seen miracles. They've seen wonders. They've seen Jesus moving. They've seen the, the, the disciples move. Who stole your joy? That's such a sad, sad, sad statement. And you know what it's stolen it? Some religious nutter who was coming and looking at circumcision. All about circumcision. Do you get chopped once or twice or what? I mean, really? Who cares? 
But that was enough to derail the church of Galatia. We, we, we allow every little thing to come and rob us of what God's got for us. We need to stand up, man up, wise up, group up, hug up, laugh up into the fullness of what He's done for us. The Father has set us free by great grace from all the old religious understanding and thinking and the old mindsets. There's a new era that's upon the church defined by intimacy and joy. If you are intimate with Him, you are joyous. Out of that place of intimacy, we experience bliss. We lose ourselves in Him, not worrying or working at what we've got to do, where we've got to go, but we just rest in Him. We can add nothing to the work of the cross. It is great, complete grace poured out for us so that we can experience bliss, joy, and fullness in Him. As we live, the Lord is good. He is a good, good Father, and nothing can cause us to falter. It's so sad. We, we, we had a testimony the other day of somebody that we know, and we were, we were trying to minister to them a bit, and they were expecting a house to sell and they then put it on auction and, ah, Jesus is good. He's going to make it sell. And the sad news is it's life and it didn't sell. They got so angry with God, they tore their Bible up. Are we into God for what he can do for us? Or are we in him for him? Then it doesn't matter whether the house sells because he's got a plan. And he works all things for the good. But if I don't understand that, if I can't be at rest, at peace, at intimacy with Him, I'm going to struggle with that. We need to not let our circumstances dictate what we believe, how we respond. And if He doesn't deliver what we've said He will, oh, my word. Some people, you don't want to be around them. Instead of, joy, Jesus, it didn't work, must have been my plan. What's yours? It can only come through loving kindness, seeking first the kingdom. Blissful oblivion. Oh, I love that word. Blissful oblivion. So actually, I'm so wasted in God that nothing else worries me. I'm oblivious to everything else that's going on around me because I'm so rested in Him. He so fills me with everything that I actually don't even register what's going on around me on the negatives. <laughs> it, 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 was a, it was a negative statement a few years ago that you become so heavenly minded you become no earthly good. Oh, yes. Hey, become so heavily minded that actually we've got to walk around on planet in a haze because we're just resting in Him. We'll still function. We'll still be a blessing. And in fact, then we'll do more earthly good because the people around us will be infected by what we carry. To be in pursuit of His presence because it's all that satisfies me. What are you satisfied with? What are you satisfied in? We are so privileged, and, and, and hear me, we are so privileged that God's presence is in this place. It is so sweet, it is so beautiful. But is Monday like this? Is Tuesday like this? You see, it must be. We carry the very same Godhead in us, the same Jesus. The same Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells inside you. What are you doing with Him? Does it reflect in your smile? Does it reflect on your face? I, I am so convinced, and there's a lot of testimony to it, that those that walk in this are getting younger. People are changing. Communities, there's communities that are living in this, and they look younger. You see some of the preachers that are on the circuit today. You, you put him at 40, 50, he's 70. How's he got there? He's going backwards. They're not aging. They're getting younger. 
in his presence. You will be renewed. You will mount up. Where does that happen? In his presence. And if you're mounting up in him, you're going to end up looking younger. You'll be able to run up those stairs as if they're not there. The degree we anchor ourselves in God's goodness is the degree when we manifest it in the age to come. If you aren't intimate, if you aren't anchored in His goodness, that He's a good, good Father, no matter what, that's what's going to manifest in your life going down, going forward. But if you can just, oh, Daddy, oh, if you can just be so lost in His face, in His intimacy, and what comes is immaterial. He wants to pour out all of himself in you. He has, but you've got to let it go. You, the object, this is incredible. You, me, are the object of the creator of the universe's intimacy. He is holy, divinely, radically frantically in love with you. And he wants to give you more. <laughs> he wants to thrill you out of your socks. Can you let him? He seats me at a table. He fills my cup. He allows me to feast on him. How many of you have been to weddings? Ever been to a wedding? Other than your own? Is that one you must really don't remember? It's just such a haze because you're just looking at the one all the time, all the one girl. Was it a fun time? Was there dancing? Was there music? Was there food? That's a party. <laughs> and we need to party with Jesus at his table every day. It's a wedding feast. He's invited you, come. Come and feast. Come to my table. Come and drink. Those that drink of me will never thirst again. Oh, Jesus, that we would walk in the fullness of your bliss, in the abundance of your glory. on earth as it is in heaven fulfilled 2,000 years ago it's not something to come it has come and his name was Jesus and he paid the price for you for every sickness for every disease for every spiritual oppression for every need, for every lack, for every debt. He said, I've paid the price. He's come to bring us that. He's given it to us. It's a free gift, and we can take it this morning. If you don't know this Jesus, you might know a Jesus. I'm talking about this Jesus. The Jesus of happiness. The Jesus of joy. The Jesus of hope. We want to pray for you. 
I want to pray that God would whack you with his joy and freedom like never before. That he would take you into new dimensions of favor and joy and blessing and bliss. That this week would be defined by oblivious glory in him. That you come back here on Sunday and we say, how was your week? And you don't even know. Because he's so good. He's a good father. I, I have a sense of a spirit of depression. Somebody struggling with depression. And you've heard this and you desire this, but you don't know how to get to this. Well, I tell you this morning, Jesus has done for you, done it for you. He set you free. He's anointed us to release the captive, set them free. Bind up the brokenhearted and to declare the year of favor. How many of you would like a year of favor? Right, he's come and he set us free to do it. So Lord, your anointing is upon me to declare that as it was on you because you said do what I did. So we want to do that this morning. We want to release Bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free, and declare the year of favor. That your glory would be manifest, that your joy would be made full. So I hope that gave you an insight into what life can be with him. I hope it encouraged you to, to press into a place of intimacy and to long for more than what you've got. I want to open up an altar here as the rest of you. Please join us for a cup of coffee, tea.